dare we say it, is it too early? Merry Christmas. Uh, for kids, there is a jolt of energy that is discovered when they hear it's Christmas time. Besides a break from school, there are an abundance of sweets to sugar them up. There are parties to be had and presents to receive in a few weeks. But for adults, we share some of the excitement that kids have. But we often get swept up into the busyness of the season, and we become like Martha at Christmas. Martha. You remember her, Mary's sister, um, the busy one in Luke chapter 10, 28 to 42. Jesus decides to visit the home of Mary and Martha, and when he arrives, he finds Martha distracted, literally pulled in many directions by all the tasks that come with hosting a meal for Jesus. Despite her harried effort, it is her sister Mary that Jesus praises. With little concern for a successful social event, Mary chooses to sit at the feet of Jesus and listen to him as he teaches. And as the story ends, Jesus says, It is Mary who has chosen what is better, Luke 10.42. Now, at first glance, this doesn't appear to be a story that would be relevant to Christmas. But writer Mayo Mathers thinks otherwise. She confesses that hosting parties and cooking up delicious buffets and shopping for gifts brings out the busy Martha in all of us. Can you relate to that? The busy Martha coming out in you at Christmas? Uh, Mathers had never given this much thought until she attended her church's Christmas pageant that the children put on each year. And here's what she writes. As I sat in the candlelit sanctuary, absent-mindedly listening to the peaceful strains of Silent Night, I wrestled mentally with the list of things to be done. And when the congregation stood to sing carols, my lips moved unconsciously to the words, while my brain mulled over various menus for our annual Christmas Eve buffet. As in every Christmas pageant, the usual parade of bathrobed children marched down the center aisle, and the children playing Mary and Joseph, they shook their heads in dismay as the innkeeper turned them away. Having watched so many similar renditions of the Christmas story, it had become commonplace to me. Realizing this, I felt a stab of guilt, and I bowed my head and I prayed, Father. Let me see the Christmas story through your eyes tonight. And that young girl, the young girl portraying Mary, began to sing a lullaby to the child in her arms, and her voice was so pure, so full of love and awe, that I stared at her, transfixed, my distracted musings forgotten, and suddenly it was as if the congregation had disappeared, as if I had been transported back in time to the actual stable in Bethlehem. And as I listened to her song, wonder and gratitude came upon me. Into my heart, God whispered, If ever there was a time to worship me, it's now. Christmas is only about me, but each year you crowd me out with the inconsequential. Did you hear that? Each year you crowd me out of Christmas with the inconsequential. Mather's article closes with these words. 
Beautiful, delicious dinners are nice. Just right gifts are delightful. But I'm learning that only one thing really matters. While I tend to be busy like Martha at Christmas, tis the season to be more worshipful like Mary. Peace. Peace is what Mark Mathers discovered in that children's Christmas program that night. Peace. Finding wellness, finding wholeness, uh, the world being made right. Doesn't peace sound nice in 2020? After the year we've had in 2020, maybe you will hear the name of God's Son born on Christmas differently. The Prince of Peace. Maybe your heart will skip a beat in 2020 when you hear the angel announce to the terrified shepherds in the fields, Peace on earth. After the turmoil, the stress, the confusion of 2020, is your craving for peace stronger this year than in the past? Peace. It's the same longing the exiles had as they returned to Jerusalem in Psalm 85. For generations, God's people were slaves, captives in a foreign land, far, far away from home. Eventually, they are set free, and Israel begins the long trek back to Jerusalem. But as they head home, they are struggling, and Psalm 85 is their cry for help in that time of struggle. Though the exile was the result of Israel's sin against God, in verse 3, God set aside his wrath and he turned from his fierce anger and listened to what God did instead of punishing Israel as they deserved. Psalm 85, verses 1 to 2. You, Lord, showed favor to your land. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. You forgave the iniquity of your people and covered all their sins. God showed Israel grace when they deserved judgment. Remembering how gracious God was in the past, the psalmist invites God to be gracious again. Listen to verse 7 of Psalm 85. Show us your steadfast love, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. If we jump down to verse 10 through 13, we hear Israel's wish list for the future. These are powerful words. Love and faithfulness meet together. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. Faithfulness springs forth from the earth and righteousness looks down from heaven. The Lord will indeed give what is good and our land will yield its harvest. Righteousness goes before him and prepares the way for his steps. Did you hear it? Did you hear it? It is a picture of God reordering the world. God fixing what is broken, fractured, dangerous in the world. You see, God's people look forward to the day when God gets the world, sets the world right as heaven and earth are reunited in peace. How does that sound to you? Heaven and earth reuniting in peace. Now, what the psalmist describes 
God will one day do. The prophet Isaiah explains how God will bring peace back to the world. In Isaiah chapter 40, verses 3 to 4, here is what it says. A voice cries out in the wilderness. Wait a minute. The wilderness. What is God doing fixing the future in the wilderness? You see, the wilderness is not where one goes for restoration. We avoid the wilderness because the wilderness is a threat to life. The wilderness is filled with thorns and fanged animals that slither or howl in the darkness. The wilderness is often terrifying and harmful to God's people. And yet it is the place God chooses to restore peace. Let's go back to verses 3 and 4 of Isaiah 40. Listen for the help God's people will find in the wilderness. Verse 3. In the wilderness, clear away for the Lord. Build a level road through the rift valley for our God. Every valley must be elevated and every mountain and hill leveled. The rough terrain become a level plain. The rugged landscape a wide valley. Powerful images. What is it that's happening here? This is a picture of God entering the wilderness where the people are trapped. It's a picture of God entering the wilderness where the people are in danger. This is a picture of God going among his people where they are broken, scared, suffering, and in desperate need of help. God goes where his people are. He is God with us. Now, by going to the wilderness, God changes the meaning of the wilderness. No longer will it be a place of certain death. Instead, it becomes the place where God saves, the place where God heals, the place where God restores his people. Listen to some of the scriptures that describe what God does in the wilderness. The wilderness becomes a fruitful field, Isaiah 32, 15. Uh, the desert shall rejoice and blossom, Isaiah 35, verse 1. Waters shall break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert, Isaiah 35, verse 6. It was God who led his people out of slavery into the wilderness, Exodus 13, verse 18. It was freedom for Israel. In the book of Revelation, the church is pictured as a winged woman, and the church runs to God for refuge and safety. Where? In the wilderness, Revelation 12, 6. God's presence with his people transforms the wilderness from a threatening place into the place where God saves his people. So we shouldn't be surprised where we find John the Baptist at the beginning of Mark's gospel. He's in the wilderness. Listen to what it says in Mark chapter 1, verses 2 to 6. It is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Hmm. Why is John the Baptist in the wilderness? Because as we saw in the Old Testament, the grace of God moved in among us in the wilderness where we stand scared 
and broken, right? That's why John's there. And look what John says in Mark, in Mark 1, verse 4. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. It was an amazing day. After John preached, the response was so great, we would today say that a revival broke out in Jerusalem. Picture thousands of Jews coming into the wilderness to repent, to be baptized, and to be forgiven. But as great as that day was, look what John the Baptist tells those who were baptized that day. In verse 7, it says this, And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful, mightier than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. Why such humility with John when it comes to Jesus? Because John knows God wants to do something bigger for his people in the wilderness. Well, what is this bigger thing that God wants to do in the wilderness? Look at Mark 1, verse 8. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. John is saying, all I can do is dunk you in water and get you wet. But Jesus, Jesus will immerse you. Jesus will plunge you in the Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit will change you from the inside out. And there it is. In the wilderness. Jesus brings the Holy Spirit to God's people to renew, to make his people new. In the wilderness, where God is, new life is found in the Holy Spirit that Jesus baptizes his disciples into. What a powerful picture. In the wilderness, God waits to transform us. In the wilderness, God waits to wash away our guilt. God waits to cleanse us. In the wilderness, God waits to forgive us, church. In the wilderness, God waits to give us His Holy Spirit. That's why Fred Craddock says, The way to the Christmas manger must pass through the wilderness. Church, don't be so busy at Christmas that you miss the one who is looking and waiting for you. His name is Jesus, and he is God with us.